Our New Testament reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our Old Testament reading is a selection from 1 Chronicles 29, and you can find that on page 203 in the paperback Bibles on your seats. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for all the things of gold, the silver for all the things of silver, and the bronze for all the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and the wood for the things of wood. Besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of the father's houses made their freewill offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you, and sojourners as our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house in your holy name comes from your hand and is your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people, who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people, and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart, that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes. 
performing all that he may build up the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all in the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord, and on the next day burnt offerings to the Lord. A thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand lambs with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's talk about this text. I bet that you all are really excited right now. Because not only are we preaching about money for the second week in a row, but we are preaching about money from First Chronicles, everyone's favorite book of the Bible, right? I'm sure we have spent a lot of time this week reading First Chronicles. Um, but why are we here? We're here for a good reason, because today I want for us to look, look at the joy of giving. Last week we talked about stewardship as something that we were created to do, but this week I want us to talk about our hearts in giving. I want us to talk about the joy uh, that is connected with giving. And before we do that, before we go into another week on stewardship, I again want to offer a disclaimer. I know uh, that it's very easy to be skeptical of pastors who are preaching about money. Because theoretically, your giving, your tithing, pays for the ministries of this church. And, and I say theoretically because, well, that's kind of where we are right now. <laughs> theoretically, that's what happens. Uh, but we're a church plant, and so actually I'm going to be traveling uh, the next couple of weeks to do some fundraising outside uh, around the country to try to get some support for us. But that actually is... Our goal, we, we want to become a church that is self-sustaining. We want to be a church that supports its own ministries and even replicates and builds out other ministries. Um, that's, that's part of our aim in taking a few weeks to study these topics. However, it's not the primary goal. Uh, in all honesty, our primary goal, my primary goal this morning, has very little to do with budgets and bottom lines. What I want to talk about today is, is your heart and my heart. We are teaching on money because over and over again in Scripture, Jesus talks about money. And Jesus, he tells us that money, more than maybe anything else on earth, is deeply connected to our hearts. So today, that's what I want us to do. I want us to, to, to think about what Jesus says in Matthew 6 when he says... Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I want us to look at this really cool picture from First Chronicles. Where we see these people whose hearts and whose treasure is all wrapped up in eternal things. They're full of, of rejoicing in the kingdom of God rather than uh, these fleeting promises in, in the crumbling things that we have here on earth. And so today, quickly, what I want us to see is the motivation for giving the joy of giving, and then how we can experience those things. So the right motivation for giving, the joy of giving, and then how we can experience those things. So let's start out there. Why, why do we give? What is the proper motivation for giving? The text that Ariel just read for us comes from the end of First Chronicles. And if you're familiar with your Old Testament, uh, if you know the timeline, the end of 1 Chronicles is also the end of the reign of King David. 
And it is very nearly the pinnacle of Israel's civilization. This is a great moment. God has been faithful to his promises to his people. He has built them up into this mighty nation. And now David, at the end of his life, he's making final arrangements. He's making arrangements so that they can build a temple for the Lord. And so that his son can take his place as his heir. And now, there are plenty of places in scripture that we could go to talk about giving. There's lots of places that we could go that... that tell you the details about how much people gave during this time or what types of sacrifices they offered or the details and and how they might go about that. But, But this passage is special because it's not so much about the details of the gift. It's about the attitude of the people as they gave it. I mean, these people are thrilled to be giving. Did you pick up on that as Ariel read it? These people are thrilled to be giving. Here's how the story goes. It tells us in in verse 1 that King David has done the king's job. He has gone out with the intention to build this temple and he has gathered in all the things he needed. He got the the wood and the stone. He got the, the, the gems. He's got gold and he's got silver. He's got bronze. He's collected all of these things together. He has the materials that they need to build the temple. But then... As he stands before the people in verse 3, he tells us. Now, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. Uh, We're going to use them. If you don't have a Bible, take one with you. It's our gift to you. Uh, In verse 3 of of our chapter, he says, David, after providing all these things needed for the temple, he says, Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of God, I give it to the house of my God. So David says, I've got all the stuff together, but I want to give out of my own stores. He says, I I want to give something that, that really belongs to me. And so then he goes and it tells us the details. He gives a tremendous amount of gold and silver and precious stones. And then at the end of verse five, he says to the crowd, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord. He looks out to the crowd and he says, who's with me? Who else wants to do this thing? And the people, they respond by giving even more than David did. So what's going on here? You know, these people in the crowd, they are not kings like David was. They are not living in palaces like he was. Maybe some of them were wealthy, but surely most of them were poor. So why are these people so excited to be giving away most of their things? Well, we can look at the Old Testament and we know that part of the reason maybe is because in the Old Testament people were commanded to give. The book of Leviticus, it talks about the principle of the tithe. In Leviticus chapter 27, you can read about it. It says, every person is expected to give one-tenth of their, the produce of their land and one-tenth of their livestock to God. And that money, it goes to the Levites, it goes to provide for the priests. So everyone was commanded to give one-tenth. And then if you go to Deuteronomy, you read that every third year... They were commanded to give a tenth to the fatherless, to aliens and strangers and to widows. 
And a lot of scholars, if you read about that command in Deuteronomy, they, they believe that was actually an additional tithe. So not only were they giving 10% every year, but every third year they could have been giving 20%. And then on top of those things, there was the ritual sacrifices that they gave. The, the sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin or the, the different ceremonies throughout the year. And, and those offerings were coming from that same livestock. They were coming from those same flocks that they were already tithing off of. And so can you imagine this? Can you imagine that, that you are living in a society where you are potentially giving away nearly 25% of your income? And then someone comes up and he stands in front of you and he says, let's give some more. Let's give beyond that. Let's even give, let's give way beyond that. How would you respond to that invitation? I know how I'd respond to that invitation. I would respond to that invitation the way I would respond at a, at a, a wedding reception, sitting at a table when I hear the electric slide start playing. Nope. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm content to sit right here. And then maybe, you know, after like half of the crowd gets up and then they start, you know, bullying me and telling me I have to come do the electric slide with everyone else, maybe I would begrudgingly put my, put my drink down and stand up and hang my head and walk over to the dance floor. <laughs> but there's no way that I'm going to do that willingly. <laughs> there's no way that I'm going to be excited about that. But look at verse 9 of our text. It says, David gives this invitation to keep giving, and it says, the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart, they had offered freely to God. They responded by giving willingly, freely, with a whole heart, rejoicing greatly. Folks, this is a party. Why is this a party? Well, there's two reasons. There's two reasons why these people are having a party. And the first is the one we talked about last week. Because they know how they got their resources in the first place. They know that they really don't own any of the things they have. They know what we talked about, that, that everything we have on this earth, all of our time, all of our talents, all of our skills, all of our treasure, that is a gift of God's grace. And if you read David's prayer, you see that pop up several times. Verse 14, he says, But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly? For all things come from you. And of your own have we given you. Verse 16, he says, O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building your house, for your holy name, it comes from your own hand. It is all your own. They give because they know all this stuff was from God. If your friend gives you $500,000 and then asks you to take him out to lunch, you're not going to grumble, right? You're going to be grateful. All you had belonged to him. They celebrate because they know where their resources came from. But also they celebrate because they know where their resources are going. These people are excited. They want to build a house for the Lord. And to them, this is not just some construction project. 
It's not just some building renovation that they're trying to do. This is what would be the central location for worship for all the people of God. And not only in Jerusalem. That, that wasn't what they were thinking about. They were thinking much bigger than that. They were hoping to build something that was going to lead to the salvation of all the earth. Do you know that? Isaiah chapter 2 talks about the hope of, of the temple. It says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. That was the hope of the temple. That was what they were giving their money towards. That's what they were so excited about because they knew that God had given them this opportunity to take their finite resources and turn them into something infinite. That they were going to take these ordinary possessions that they weren't able to keep anyway and turn them into something holy that was going to last forever. When I was in school, I studied comparative religion. And that's the kind of degree that, you know, you have some idea about what you want to study, but really, when you're going about the day-to-day, -day, sometimes you just end up taking the classes that are available, right? You know that experience? And, and, and at some point during my education, I took a class called Ancient Spiritual Alchemy for a semester. Now, what, what, what the heck is that? Well, you probably, maybe you've heard of alchemy before. It's this, this idea, really popular in the Middle Ages, especially that like you could find some recipe or some magical thing and you could turn wood into gold or stones into gold. It was the idea of turning something into gold. But spiritual alchemy, it kind of flowed out of that. It was this idea that you could take something finite and transform it into something eternal. It was basically the study of, of magic recipes to lead to eternal life. To take temporary things and turn them into eternal things. Well, that's what's going on here. There's a sense that that's what's happening here. This is kind of the true spiritual alchemy. They were turning earthly things into spiritual things. They were turning something temporary into something that was going to last forever. And you know, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says a very similar thing. Matthew chapter 6, he says, we read it already. He says, do not store up for yourself treasures in, on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. The people in First Chronicles, they already knew this. They already knew the idea that Jesus was one day going to teach in the Sermon on the Mount. They knew that in this moment when they were giving away all their stuff, they weren't losing their treasure, but they were gaining it. When we give to the kingdom of God, we are using God's gifts for their intended purposes. We are turning them into something that's going to really last. Uh, Randy Alcorn is a, a pastor and he talks on this subject a lot. He's written a bunch of books about it. One of them is called The Treasure Principle. I read that last week to prepare for this and it was pretty good. If you're looking for a book on this, 
go ahead, check that one out. Um, but in his book, he says that, that the principle of Matthew 6 is you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. And I don't know, I think that's a little cheesy maybe, <laughs> but it also is a helpful idea. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. We know we can't take it with us. No matter how much money you get, no matter how much money you manage to store up, there is no way that you can guarantee what's going to happen to that. You don't know if the stock market's going to cr crash. We don't know if our entire nation is going to fall apart. You don't know if, if you're, the, the people who inherit your money are going to be a bunch of idiots. You don't know what's going to happen. And no matter what, when you die, no matter what you set up, you have no control over what happens to your wealth. But here, God tells us that when we use our resources to build his kingdom, somehow we are laying up treasure in heaven. We are building his eternal kingdom. It is becoming in some way a real and lasting reward for us. And so David and his people, they knew that. And as a result, when they got this chance to give towards it, they had a party. They were, they were excited. They were celebrating when they found out this temporary fading thing that they had, their gold and their silver or whatever, was going to be able to accomplish a holy and eternal purpose. And so that's the motivation for giving. Their motivation was the eternal purposes of the kingdom of God. The second thing I want to talk about, though, is the joy of giving. The joy of giving. Look, it's one thing to see that these people were joyful when they gave. But that doesn't do much for us, right? Like, I'm, I'm very happy to know that in some parts of the world, people really like to eat dried bugs, right? I know that those are good snacks for somebody somewhere. But I'm not excited about it. Just because they like it doesn't mean I'm going to like it. Just because these people are joyful to give away 30% of their income doesn't mean I'm going to enjoy doing something like that. Or let me take it even a step further. I want to tell you that, that giving will never cause joy to come in your life. Ever. Giving is not a cause of joy. If you were to leave here this morning and think that, that the theme of our message was give such and such percent, and that's going to make you righteous and happy in your heart before the Lord, you're, you've missed the point. That is not the point of this text. Money cannot change your heart. Now, there is some connection, right? There is some connection between money and your heart. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One of the people I was reading on this subject gave the illustration of investing in a certain company in the stock market. And I think it's a good illustration. I recognize there may not be a lot of us here who are like investing in individual companies right now, but, but let's just imagine for a moment that we were. Um, Imagine that we were to invest in a, in a company like Honda or something, in a car company. You know that if you were to put your own money into that company and, and a news, uh, a story came up in the news that said, you know, airbag failure in, in the Honda Odyssey, you'd probably read that article. You'd probably pay attention to that article. You would probably care much more about that than you ever would have before. 
all of a sudden you, you want them to fix this problem with the airbags in that minivan because you want the company to do well. You have a vested interest in the outcome of that stock, in the outcome of that company because where our treasure is, our hearts tend to follow. And similarly, I would suggest to you, if there is something in this world you wish you cared more about, some good thing, if you, wanted, if you wished you were more invested in the fight against sex trafficking or in uh, people building new translations of the Bible or in missions work in the Sudan, I would encourage you, put some money towards it. Support somebody who's doing that work. I guarantee you, if you do that, you're going to pay more attention. You're going to think about it more often. You're going to pray about it more often. Your heart will follow your money in some degree. And there's an inverse reality too. We know that, right? Where your heart is, your treasure usually follows. Or the way one pastor put it, he said, you will always give effortlessly to that which is your salvation. You will always give effortlessly to the thing you worship. You will always give effortlessly to the thing you put your hope in. If you hope in beauty, you will not have any problem paying for a gym membership or makeup or diet books or new clothes or maybe even plastic surgery. If that's where your hope is, you'll put money towards those things. If your hope is in your pleasure, then you're going to spend your money on things that make you feel good. You'll buy as much, as many video games, as much beer, as much new clothes, new shoes. You'll spend your money on sex. You'll spend your money on the things that brings you pleasure. It struck me as I was reading through this passage and, and thinking about how crazy these people seemed to be giving their money so lavishly towards the temple. We look at that, right? And we say, these people are nuts. But do you recognize that we live in this culture where we give that way all the time to the things we worship? Our money flows for the things that we worship. We, maybe more than any other country, we have put ourselves in debt over the things that we worship. We spend money we don't have to get the things that we want. We do this all the time. Have mercy. This is our reality. Money flows for the things that we worship. So there is a connection. There is a correlation between our money and our hearts. That's what Jesus tells us in Matthew. However, giving is not a cause of worship. If you want to experience this kind of joy that you see in these people, if you want to experience this joy in giving, it's not going to happen by you all leaving here and saying, okay, I'm going to work really hard now to give 10%. I'm going to push really hard to give 20% or 25%. I want to hit this certain mark, and that's when the joy is going to come. No, a tithe will not buy you the blessings of God. These people were joyful in the presence of the Lord long before they gave a penny. The money the jewels, the gold, all that stuff, that was just an expression of what was already a reality for them. That was just an expression of what was already happening in their hearts. The joy of giving, it is not a cause, it is a result. That's what I'm saying. So how then 
do we experience that? How do we experience that kind of joy? Look at verse 17. Hear the joy that that gets expressed in this passage. I know, my God, that you test the heart. It says, I, in the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. And my favorite verse, the last verse, it says, and they ate and they drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. Doesn't that sound awesome? Standing in the presence of the Lord with freedom and gladness and joy. Standing in front of him with confidence and and celebration. Don't you want that? Where does that come from? Well, I want to tell you that that kind of thing can only happen when you recognize that you're standing in front of God not based on anything you've done. And especially not based on your own giving. These men and women in Israel, they were undeniably living in the reality of God's grace to them. Their day-to-day experience, there was no way for them to deny how gracious God had been. Do you realize at this point in history, God had taken them from one man, Abraham, and he had built them into this mighty nation. And God had told them it wasn't because they were special. It was because he loved them and he chose them. It wasn't because of anything particularly great about them, but it was simply because God loved them and he chose them. They had gone from being slaves in Egypt to nomads in the wilderness to to warring conquerors. And here they are now living in the midst of this peaceful kingdom. The reality of God's blessing was palpable for them. It was observable. It was the air that they breathed. It was so real to them at every moment that their actions was just something that flew out of it. It was just a natural part of that. They were a people who loved God. They were a people who loved God and they wanted to see his kingdom come. They wanted to see his reign extended beyond them all the way to the ends of the earth. And here's the amazing thing. We have it way better than they did. In verse 19, David, he prays for his son. He says, grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments your testimonies and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. So David, he prays for his son. He prays that he would be able to go and accomplish these purposes. And, And Solomon does do that. Solomon ends up building the temple. But do you realize that that God gave David a much greater answer to that prayer? In 2 Samuel, he he promises that through David, he's going to send a much greater king who's going to do even greater things. He says, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. The glory of the gospel message is that through Jesus, Jesus Christ 
David's great, great, great a million grandson, God has built a much greater kingdom for us. God has built a much greater kingdom than the kingdom of Israel ever was. He built a truly everlasting kingdom that would never fail. And now, he's at work gathering all people into it. These are the days when all of the nations are coming to the house of the Lord. People like you. People like me. People who are ungrateful. People who are unworthy. People who are not generous. People who have put our hope in all the wrong things. Who have poured out our wealth to all these false gods. Scripture tells us God sent his son Jesus Christ. The true ruler to come and die for us. To lay down his life in our place. To forgive our sins and welcome us into his eternal presence. That's the gospel. God did that purely by his grace. Purely by his mercy. Not because you're great. But because he loved you and he chose you. Not because you've done anything. But because he loved you and he chose you. The gospel is that God has given us a far greater kingdom. He has given us far greater riches than these people ever knew. We have the full revelation. We have the full experience of God's grace. With their sacrifices, they looked forward to the promise. But they didn't know how it was going to come. But we know the reality. We live in the reality. Through Christ, we are accepted as righteous before God, not because of any offering we bring, not because any sacrifice we have to make, but because God has already offered the perfect sacrifice for us. He's made the sacrifice once and for all. And by that sacrifice, he's freed us from the law. And he's freed us from the consequences of the law. And, and maybe... Maybe that's a, a good point for us to just ask the question, well, well, then why do we need to tithe if he's done that? <laughs> if he's freed us from the law, if he's freed us from the requirements of the law and the consequences of the law, do we actually need to tithe? Are, are we really expected to give 10% anymore? Does that even matter? Well, actually, I have good news. There is no place in the New Testament that tells us we have to give 10%. There is one story where Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees and, and he tells them it's good that they tithe, but they shouldn't neglect all the other things. So there's a place where, where Jesus upholds the tithe, but, but nowhere in the New Testament is it outright stated that you, as a New Covenant believer, need to give 10%. No, we, we never see people give 10% in the New Testament. What we see is something more like Acts chapter 2, where it says, all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings, and they were distributing the proceeds to any, to all, as any had need. That's the kind of giving we see in the New Testament. It's actually not very different from what we saw in, in Chronicles, right? These people, they aren't thinking about percentages. 
In the New Testament, people aren't thinking about percentages. They're not thinking about the bottom line. They are living out of the grace that they have received. We, you and I, we who have received a greater kingdom, that means we should give even more graciously. If we we have a greater experience of God's grace than they did, then we should be more gracious givers than they were. And not only do we have a greater kingdom, but we have a greater mission. Those people in 1 Chronicles, they were building a building. They were building the temple. But Paul, he tells us that we are building a much greater temple than he was. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that in him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That today in the church what we're building is a living temple. Where people from every tongue and tribe and nation are becoming together a dwelling place for God. That means when we give to the church, we're giving to our kingdom family. We are giving to this great kingdom mission. We're not putting marble blocks together, but we are actually putting eternal human lives together to build this great and glorious eternal temple that will last for all time. That's an amazing thing. You know, that's some kind of crazy spiritual alchemy right there. We are building an eternal temple. So, how then does this happen? How do we become these kinds of of joyous, open-hearted givers? How do we become these kinds of people who who don't think about the bottom line? Who aren't aren't concerned with, with, with percentages? Well, the only way is that if we come to know the living King Jesus, if we come and place our hope in him, It's only going to happen if if we're able to examine our hearts and ask God to to forgive us for our fixation on temporary things. For putting our our hope in all these false ways of salvation. For pouring out our wealth to all these things that never satisfy us. The only way you're going to become a generous and and joyful giver like them is, is, is we need to experience the reality of the freedom that you have in Christ. That you're welcomed before him not based on your performance. Not based on your production. Not based upon anything you give, but upon what he has given. Upon his gracious sacrifice. Do you realize that last verse? That they ate and they drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. In Christ, that is our constant reality. In Christ, we are always Welcome to the feast. In Christ, we always are able to come and stand in his presence in freedom and joy because he has given his gift freely. He has given himself with a full heart. And I want to remind us, this isn't a gift that's intended for us to hoard. His gift of Jesus is not something that that we're supposed to keep to ourselves, but it's one that he has commanded the church to share to the ends of the earth. We have a greater kingdom. We have received a greater gift, and we have a greater mission. And so I want to invite us now to come to this table and to receive it with joy. Father, we are grateful 
um, that you have so graciously given us your son. And as I look at this picture of radical generosity, as I look at this picture of people giving uh, in a way that kind of scares me, Lord, I just pray that you would transform our hearts. That you would help us to see all those places where we are already giving like this to something. And I pray, God, that you would get our minds in the right place. That you would put our hearts in a deep connection to you. That, that, that our hearts would be with you. And maybe our treasure would follow, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.